And good evening, everyone, or good morning, or good afternoon, whatever the case may be, wherever you are, on this ever more complicated rotating globe careening around the sun at over 66,000 miles per hour. And they don't give speeding tickets. Welcome to the other side of midnight, that that really crazy time between dusk and dawn where on this show, at least, anything can happen, and tonight it probably will because we have a very full roster and an extraordinary set of events to go through, some of them almost at the level of breaking news. You know, it, it, we, we could actually literally get some information on one of the stories we're going to be talking about at any moment. There's something weird going on in Colorado, just north of me, north of the Land of Enchantment, and... Nobody seems to know what it is. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Let me give you some context. First of all, Cynthia has posted on the homepage and on our guest page tonight at the very top, well, kind of like at the top, above the show items and radio with pictures, um, the the, um, ratings from TalkStream Live that we talked about last night. And if you go to the homepage, which, of course, is the other side of midnight.com, and you click on the uh, lovely little uh, thing she wrote at the top, which says, Richard C. Hoagland's The Other Side of Midnight, with a volunteer staff of three gives the big boys with large syndicated shows and their paid staffs of six to 12 persons a run for it. And you'll see that we're doing really, really well in the ratings. Now, gang, your support through Club 19.5 is what's keeping this show on the air. Barely, really, barely. Because out of 36 million people in the TalkStream Live main uh, arena, where, of course, uh, Rush Limbaugh is number one with his, you know, God knows how many hundred affiliates. And uh, George is up there with uh, God knows how many hundred affiliates, I think 600 at last count. You know, we're number 20 out of 50, which is not bad, but out of a pool of 36 million listeners, we should have far more committed members of Club 19.5 to just keep us going, to keep us on the air, you know, gas in the tank, that kind of thing. I mean, you have no idea how expensive it is to do this and to compete with the big boys. Um, One of the greatest compliments I had a couple nights ago was someone sent me a note and said, well, my God, Hoagland, you're like the continuation of art the way radio should be. And that, to me, was very, very high praise indeed. Let me get to how the complicated show is going to work tonight. We're going to be talking about the Antarctic because, as you know, a couple, three weeks ago, I put up an item. In fact, if you want to go to the other side of midnight.com, click on tonight's banner for Operation High Jump with our guest listed, Robert Morningstar. That will take you to the guest page, where tonight we have two guests. Morningstar is second, and uh, our Air Force friend, uh, Greg Ahrens, is first. At the very top, you'll see um, uh, kind of, let's see, it's right under my little praises of what we're doing tonight. Um, There is the fast link, you know, clicking thingy, where you can literally just click on the various persons you want to go to their sections of radio with pictures click on mine where it says fast links to items richard robert and greg click on mine first richard there and that will take you to my items well number one 
of course, is this rather controversial post by Ben Fulford. Remember the former editor at um, uh, Forbes, correspondent at Forbes magazine, who has now gone freelance for many, many years and has you know, posted all kinds of very intriguing stories trying to delve into the you know, 10 to 1%, the elites, the inner circle, whatever you want to call the folks around the world. And you, know, you have to look at Fulford's material with a very careful eye because remember, it's not him making stuff up, but his sources to try to dissuade his credibility and to steer the rest of us off in wrong directions, they can lie to him. So you have to calibrate a lot of what Fulford posts But in this case, we have independent sources that say there is something very interesting going on down in the Antarctic. I mean, it's been going on for decade and decade and decade, but it's kind of coming to a head in the next few days, weeks, months. Don't really know, but that was the story that kind of kicked off a discussion between me and Morningstar that it might be time to do the Operation High Jump story. A lot of the materials that he and I have been independently researching and kind of comparing notes on from time to time, which uh, validate the fact that the Antarctic is probably one of the most, if not the most interesting and important places on the planet. An entire continent in 1958 with the treaty, the um, international treaty, Uh, where everybody co-signed, including China and the Soviet Union and Britain and France and Italy and Latin American countries and all that, it basically, that treaty sealed off Antarctica, an entire continent, maybe twice the size of the continental United States. I mean, that's a huge area, and nobody can get into it unless you have permission. And there's all kinds of bureaucratic hoops you have to jump through, to to get down there, uh, even as a researcher, with the, you know, as part of the National Science Foundation or whatever, and the gateway is through Denver, Colorado, which I always found interesting. That's the bureaucratic doorway where you have to literally go and sign up and become part of teams or expeditions or whatever. And you know, there are various private groups that sometimes do these stunts. You know, like snowboarding across Antarctica. I forget what team did that a couple of years ago. They have to be monitored constantly. They have to have, you know, um, not allies. What am I looking for? Not guards, but uh, chaperones. Chaperones. Um, so no one can just wander around in the Antarctic, kind of by their lonesome. And I've always been intrigued, and that intrigue over the years and decades has grown into suspicions that someone has been hiding something. For decades at the bottom of the world. Well, tonight we're going to tell you what they've been hiding. Better yet, we're going to show you with real official imagery what they've been hiding. And no, it's not UFOs. Oh, I'm so bored with the subject of UFOs because they never end. There's never any way to do real research to find out who's inside, what their agendas are, why they're here, that kind of thing. But the stuff we're going to talk about tonight anybody can someday go and look at and we have figured out a way to do it from above from in space on command and we'll talk about that uh, more toward the end of the show 
So that's number item. Um, let me do this again. That's item number one in my radio with pictures. Item number two is something very bizarre that happened at the beginning of this whole contretemps between Trump and the Iranian government and killing that high-ranking government official, the General Soleimani, and all the things that flowed therefrom, and then the counterattack by Iran, uh, and then the shootdown, the accidental shootdown of the Iranian airliner, which was incredibly tragic. I mean, just as we're celebrating the fact that nobody died that night and World War III did not start, the Iranians, out of stupidity and obviously fear of reprisal, one of their own battery commanders independently thought he saw a cruise missile coming because everybody was expecting, you know, in, in Iran that night and certainly in Tehran, a reprise of what happened in Baghdad. Remember what happened in Baghdad when the sky was filled with flak when we were attacking with, you know, um, stealth uh, bombers and F-117s and all that? Well, history may not repeat, but it certainly rhymes because in this case, nobody in Iran was listening to the rhymes. For some bizarre reason, the government of Iran, in the middle of a war zone where they've just attacked the mightiest country on earth in a country next door in Iraq, they did not close the airport. They did not forbid flights. They didn't ground everything until there was an all-clear given, which is a stunning failure of government and management by somebody. And so when the 10th airliner to leave the uh, Tehran airport took off at about 6.12 in the morning, a few hours after they had fired that 22-missile salvo at the two bases of where Americans were being uh, housed in Iraq, an airliner, the 10th airliner, this Ukrainian airlines plane with 176 people got shot down by the Iranians themselves. And to make matters much, much worse, instead of immediately fessing up and saying, uh-oh, the Iranian government officially tried to lie. And there was video that kept popping up taken by you know, Iranian citizens just looking at the sky and taking video at 6 o'clock in the morning, you could see the missile, you could see the impact, you could see the fireball, you could see the crash. And then, of course, when you looked at the aerial photos of the crash site, um, it was you know, spread out for miles and miles, which, of course, indicated it came apart in midair, and the pieces all rained down. The real bad part of this was the Iranians tried to, to stall. And only later, several days later, did they admit under pressure from the Ukrainian government, from the Canadian government, because there were no Americans on the plane. But that really doesn't matter because we're all just we're just people. But there were something like 80 plus Iranians and 60 some, you know, Canadians and there were Swedes and Italians and whatever. So an international outcry arose demanding access to the black boxes, which Iran, Iran, Iran initially said they were not going to turn over to anybody else. Of course, they don't, we don't think they have the expertise to know how to you know, figure out a Boeing 37 black box. Boeing does. The American NTSB does. So within a day or two, that wall collapsed, and they were inviting the NTSB and Boeing to be part of the investigation team, but still insisting it was some kind of mechanical error. The point is, in the midst of all of this contretemps 
from the killing of the general to the shoot down of the Iranian aircraft by the Iranians themselves. This tragic, horrible, you know, fog of war mistake. Our president, three times, announced that he was going to go if war developed after Iranian cultural sites. I mean, the Persian Empire is 4,000 plus years old. As Dr. Spence said to us the other night, um, Iran as a country was only renamed in 1934. Before that, it was the Persian Empire. It's been the Persian Empire for most of the 6,000-year recorded history of planet Earth. This is a people with an extraordinary heritage, with architecture, archaeology, sacred sites all over the uh, country of Iran. And the idea that an American president would threaten the people's heritage and not the mullahs, not the clique that currently controls the modern state of Iran, it was just nuts. And the world responded accordingly. And he didn't do it once. He did it three times. So I began this discussion uh, with Robert. You know, this makes no sense. This, this makes no sense. And we left it at that. We were going to meet you know, tonight for this show. And then a few days ago, a couple, three days ago, I had an aha. As I've had continually during the last three years of this Trump administration, Remember, my thesis is that everything we are seeing, both from the Democrats and the Republicans and from Trump himself, is all a Potemkin village. None of it is real. None of it means anything. It's all a huge capital D distraction from something else. And then I got the idea. What of him raising the idea in the midst of an impending war with Iran of attacking the cultural sites is really a kind of Emily Dickinson code for an in-crowd that's paying attention to a subtext, a completely separate channel, and I'm not using that literally, but as a kind of a metaphor, of communication to someone, the, the groups that run the planet, the Tenth to one percent, the multi-multi-billionaires, the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, the you know you can go down the list. What if that was the intended audience of Trump's claim that he was going to attack the cultural sites, not because he ever intended to attack the cultural sites, but because he wanted to bring the idea of ancient, ancient cultural sites into the modern conversation? I mean, what has our research turned up over the last 30, 40 years? That the big boys in charge of everything, of the planet, have been hiding all the good stuff forever. For the last 100 plus years, they've been hiding our real heritage, our real ancient series of high-tech civilizations, 10, 20, 30, 50, 100,000 years in the past that have risen and fallen on this planet and we're never supposed to know about because, oh, history began with Sumer just 6,000 years ago, and a few mud huts that grew into stone buildings and into pyramids and ziggurats and all of that. What if all that history is simply a veneer on the real ancient history of mankind, of humankind itself, which, of course, is what we're going to be talking about tonight? Because one of the key reasons that I believe, and I think Robert agrees with me, 
for this sudden, you know, evolution of high jump to go to the Antarctic right after the incredible catastrophe of World War II was maybe, and we're going to try to prove this tonight, really in search of our ancient, ancient history, 30,000 or more years old, buried under the ice, but in some places accessible to 1946-1947 science and technology and the U.S. Navy. In that context, keep in mind, when you go back to uh, our Radio with Pictures, my, my section, click on my name under, under the little notes I have at the top on tonight's show. Look now at number three. This is the JPL Small Database Browser, and four, five, and six are screen grabs from that browser. Not very good. You can do better. If you click on number three, it's interactive. You can actually enlarge it, make your own screenshots. What you want to look at is, is this object, this so-called comet, Borisov, the second interstellar visitor from deep space, from the galaxy, from light years beyond this little tiny solar system, within a year after a muamua, another object, this time looking exactly like an ordinary comet, appears in the biggest telescopes of the world because it's very, very dim. 16.4 magnitude is not something you're going to see without a pretty damn big telescope. Even if you're an amateur, you're going to need maybe a 20-inch Dobsonian or something. Uh, I'm not sure whether a Celestron 14 would see it. The point is that this little tiny object, which only can be seen by professionals or very high-end amateurs, which is completely invisible and therefore not even on the radar of most men and women on planet Earth tonight. In the last few weeks, it has been doing some extraordinary things because its trajectory is now validated by thousands of observations uh, tracking since August 30th when Borisov in Ukraine, oh, there's that country again, Ukraine, hmm, who found it as an amateur, and obviously then got his name attached to it as part of the International IAU Convention. This little object, which looks in any telescope just like an ordinary comet, but which is zooming into and out of the solar system at multiple speeds of the escape velocity from the sun itself, meaning it's coming in, it's passing the sun, and it will never, ever return. This object, this trajectory, this orbit of this tiny object <clears throat> is filled, as I discovered weeks and weeks ago, with 19.5 hyperdimensional physics signatures, like someone sent it at this time to mark this time. So what I've been doing in the last few days is I've been... Comparing the trajectory and the 19.5 point, because remember, on December 19th, 12-month, 19th day, midnight, 19.5 of December, Borisov was 1.95 astronomical units from the Earth. And on January 7th, as it was leaving the sun, going back out into interstellar space, never to return. It hit the 1.95 AU mark again. An AU, by the way, is the Earth distance to the sun, 93 million miles. 
So whether it's 1.95 or 19.5 or 19,500, whatever multiples, it's all part of the same hyperdimensional insider code. It all means the physics. And it's like someone sent this object to mark events on Earth in this time. Because as I was correlating what's been going on in mainstream news between the impeachment stuff and the Iranian possible war stuff and the killing the general stuff and Trump's weird tweet stuff and the attack on cultural artifacts from Iran stuff on and on and on ad nauseum, I found key correlations between these announcements and the times when Borisov reached 1.95. If you want an example, then you can own, do your own homework with a small database browser, make up two lists, and start looking at national, international events correlated with Borisov's 19.5 markers. Remember what happened on December 18th? In the United States Congress, that's when the House of Representatives voted to impeach the current president of the United States. Now, really, that was on the 18th in U.S. time, East Coast time, late afternoon. It was the 19th in Greenwich, England. And all the times I'm giving you and the dates for Borisov are in Greenwich time, universal time, UTC. So that's when the comet hit 1.95 AU, just as Nancy Pelosi led the House in voting Donald Trump's impeachment. Whoa, what the hell is going on with that? Item number two, when he's making, when the president is making these extraordinary, you know, declarations going to attack Iranian cultural sites, Um, Remember, he did it three times. He did it once in Mar-a-Lago as a tweet. Then he did it again, doubled down on it in front of reporters on Air Force One as he was flying from Mar-a-Lago back to Washington, D.C. And when he did that on that aircraft that afternoon on, I believe, the 4th and 5th of January, that's when Comet Borisov reached precisely one 0.947 AU from Earth. This is a plan. This is a plot. This is a vast interplanetary conspiracy by someone or someones who are literally marking out these historic events on this teeny tiny speck of dust with an interstellar visitor whose plot and trajectory has apparently been absolutely defined by the very physics of reality itself. I will leave that for a moment, and we'll come back to it later. Um, I have one more thing I'm going to tell you, and then we're going to go to Greg. Item number seven in Radio with Pictures, my items, the drone mystery this array of up to 30 drones flying in rectangular formation over the vast wilderness of eastern Colorado and western Nebraska is spreading. And there's a story there from one of the local TV stations up in Colorado. Helicopter pilot Kirk Peeble said he saw a drone pass within 100 feet 
of his Flight for Life helicopter. These are the guys that go pick up patients to take heart attack victims to hospitals in time to save their life. Whatever these are, uh, some people say, oh, they're UFOs. No, they're drones, but they're drones being controlled for a reason and a purpose, and officials finally, kind of late to the party, they're finally saying at government levels, sheriff levels, local government levels are saying, what the hell is going on? So that's story number seven. Okay. Let me do my little thing here. Our first guest tonight to talk about this extraordinary confluence of events and the fact that we can prove through the ritual alignment model that what's been going on to tell everybody captivated in the news is in fact according to some deep ritual plan of which Trump is an absolute major player. He's not independent. He's not doing this by whim or ego or narcissism. This is part of a plan, but it's part of a larger plan, so he's not an independent player, as you will see. Air Force veteran Greg Ahrens is an associate of the Enterprise Mission, having collaborated with me on several papers beginning back in 2009 on the really deep investigation we both did on the famous Norway spiral. Quoting Greg, I became interested in space at an early age and watched the early Project Mercury launches on TV in grade school. My youngest brother was born on the same day as John Glenn's first American orbital flight. My father was a mathematician and systems analyst for a major aerospace corporation, and I was an avid reader of my dad's Aviation Week and Space Technology magazines. Aaron served in the U.S. Air Force during the Vietnam era. He studied political science and Spanish and Spanish-American languages and literature at the University of Missouri in St. Louis. And after working at a number of varied jobs, he finally earned a B.A. in individual studies at Columbia College in Columbia, Missouri. Greg, welcome to the other side of midnight. And before we get to what you're going to tell us tonight, I want to read you something. First of all, are you there? Greg? Greg Ahrens, are you there? Let me. There you are. Unmuting always helps. Always helps. By the way, everybody refresh your pages, both your home page and the show page, because Cynthia uh, had put up something specifically for Greg, which disappeared. And I want to read it before I segue to Greg. You're there, right? I'm here. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Hold, 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 hold the phone. Okay. Last night, I did a program with a, an independent researcher named uh, uh, Catherine Children, who's done a brilliant analysis and published several books and you know, had uh, debates on uh, the Smithsonian and all that on the real William Shakespeare. I heartily recommend you join Club 19.5 for that show alone because we've had overwhelming emails saying, oh, my God, I didn't think it was going to be interesting, and it was incredibly interesting. Well, apropos of this program, which tries to link events and context, tonight William Shakespeare's play, As You Like It, turns out by the numbers to be incredibly germane and relevant. Because you'll remember this speech, if you don't, you will as soon as I begin to to read it, from As You Like It, all the world's a stage, all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts, his act being seven tetrahedral ages. 
I inserted the tetrahedral part. Greg, how do we know tonight that all of what we've lived through on this planet in the last two weeks, the threat literally of World War III has been a play? Um, well, I guess, I guess uh, looking at the, uh, the alignments of, of when the uh, assassination attempt, or when the assassination happened in, of the uh, general in Baghdad, Okay, so if you ever want to do to follow along, you want to go to the other side of midnight.com, click on tonight's um, banner for high jump. Right time. Oh, we're at the bottom of the hour already? Okay. I oh, guess nice, we. Nice cliffhanger. <laughs> yes. Okay. Sorry, folks. Uh, I'll tell you what. We're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and you got it. We shall return with an extraordinary set of proof. of midnight.com talk radio with pictures on demand liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought join club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com.
And welcome back. And that was, of course, a tribute to the U.S. Navy, who we're going to be talking about for the next uh, two and a half hours. Um, Greg, I'm sorry I didn't have the Air Force anthem up there because I thought we'd move a little faster into high jump. But, of course, high jump was a major naval operation following World War II. So we're going to be doing some things in honor of the U.S. Navy. My dad was in the U.S. Navy, and I have a very, very fond spot in my heart for the U.S. Navy. Um, anyway, so back to Greg. Um, you're going to want to go to the other side of midnight.com, click on tonight's banner for high jump. That will take you to the uh, uh, guest page. Uh, scroll down a smidge, you'll see right under my uh, uh, summation of tonight's program the fast link items. Click on Greg's, and that will take you to his items where he has tabulated over the last several days these extraordinary celestial alignments to all of the famous celestial players we have been looking at for decades, Sirius, Orion, Aldebaran, Regulus, and they're part of a stunning pattern, a stunning pattern that um, uh, seems to really indicate that we're looking at, as Shakespeare said, a play. Greg? Well, yeah, Richard. Can you hear me well? I hear you bye-bye. Okay, good. Oh yeah, and I was I was stationed on a naval air station in Key West, so I I have an appreciation for the Navy. I was so I was looking at these alignments, your your big five, I guess that you you taught me about Sirius, uh, Orion's three belt stars, um, Aldebaran and Regulus, and I looked at uh, the time. Uh, well, first of all, it was really hard to find out what time this thing actually hurt, uh, happened. You mean when they attacked uh, the general? When they when they assassinated the general, yes. And uh, I looked at uh, various all over the the internet for uh, different news sources that nobody gave the time. You know, that's a, hang on, found, let, let me stop you there because when I was coming up as a fledgling reporter, um, I was taught, you know, news is basically the four or five W's. Who, what, why, when, and where. And the right. when is a really important part. And I've looked at a pattern, more and more stories, something big happens, and they don't publish the time. It's almost right. like they know we're looking. Almost. <laughs> it's it's almost. weird. Right. So so I, I came up with a time of... of the plane landed at about 12, some, somewhere, one, one place reported that it was 1246 or 1248, mm -hmm. and that he was assassinated right after he stepped off the plane, which is not exactly right because he was, he was you know, in a motor car. and On one of those airport. frontage roads out of the airport, yeah. Right, leaving the airport out on the frontage road, but within a few minutes, so came up with 1250 a.m. There was one other report said it was around around 1 a.m. Baghdad time, but 12.50, and I looked at, you know, the big the big one is Sirius, the star Sirius. Of course. At, thir at 39 degrees, which is twice 19.5. Bingo. Bingo. Above southwest, south-southwest horizon, and at azimuth, which is the direction from two north. to 360, from two north. To uh, azimuth of 195 degrees. Oh, good. You're kidding. 
<laughs> I mean, it, it, it's it's dead on. It's yeah. dead on. So, <clears throat> what I'm wondering is how somebody could plan. You know, <laughs> I'm not that not that they couldn't, but how somebody could plan with you know this 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 whole this whole situation, this whole conspiracy occurring on the golf course in Mar-a-Lago or or you know West Palm Beach somewhere down there. And with a few, you know, ex, uh, uh, some senator and a few guys, and they get together and go, "Oh yeah, let's uh, well, let's assassinate their second in command." But anyway, so <clears throat> well, you know that uh, Pompeo, Senator uh, Senator uh, Secretary of State Pompeo, has been pushing the president for weeks to get rid of this guy. The timing, mm-hmm. of course, is at the military chain of command. You know, when you do it, when he gets on the airplane, when he's nudged to get on the airplane. In other words, either that or we're looking at such an extraordinary cosmic matrix that going back to Shakespeare, all of us are merely players in a cosmic play whose dimensions we have zero understanding of. Right. Yeah. So now there is some... There is some rumors going around that uh, that the President Trump lured the guy into uh, have talks, peace talks with uh, Saudi Arabia in Baghdad. Mm. So that's you know I don't know I can't track that down as true or false, but well, it's equally say- noise. Like there was a report I think in the Wall Street Journal the other day that several senators wanted him to do this and they only promised their support in the impeachment trial if he would take out uh, Soleimani. And again, Hmm. you have to give these rumors the credence of rumors because if no one's on the record, it's just hearsay. It's just more chatter, more noise. These numbers, these alignments, they're not noise. They're real data. Right. And then I guess, well, Orion's belt stars at 46 degrees. Um, well, there are be, three stars, so they're straddling forty-five. Yeah, which well, of course they're they're, at, they're they're at I forget the exact numbers, but they were at forty-five in so many minutes and that. They yeah, were, yeah. But but closer, but closer to forty-six as far as a half a being a half a degree off or whatever. And yeah, but out of so a that, out of a complete circle of three hundred and sixty degrees, you know, remember science always has an error. There's always an error. There's always a little fudge factor. So the 45, of course, is Trump, 45th president. Right. Uh, we need to speed this up a little bit because I can hear Robert chomping at the bit, and we've got so much to go through in high jump. Okay. Well, let's uh, let me jump down to when Trump tweeted the the U.S. flag picture. Ah, yes. Later on, and the sun was at 19.5 degrees below. The oh sun. my God! Ah. In, in Baghdad, and now Debron was 11 degrees below the west-northwest. And 11, of so, course, is another code for 19.5 through a mathematical right, equation yeah. I won't go into tonight. But, yeah. And then let me see. I see, can... this this level of redundancy, if you only had one number, you'd say, ah, coincidence. But again and again and again, reinforcing the same code, it's well-nigh impossible to just say, oh, this is just, you know, you guys are just, you know, I, I want whatever you're smoking. Right, right. And and Baghdad is at 33 degrees. Yes. Uh, north. <laughs> yes. 
ritual, ritual, ritual. So this, <clears throat> I guess, likely to be called a, a ritual killing. Okay, um, so let's 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 move on quickly here. Okay. Okay. The next thing would be when the Iranians attacked the U.S. missile bases, and I let's see. Yeah, that's oh, item okay. number three. No, wait, so from, no, that wait, that's not item number three. Uh, it's just all one thing, I guess, one item. But okay. But we're oh, here candidate. we are. It says from Baghdad, from Iran Bag- missile attack on U.S. bases at yeah. ten thirty twenty two thirty UTC. 7th January 2020. Okay. As Comet Borisov is exactly at 1.95 AU from Baghdad, Sirius is 33 degrees and change above the southwest horizon. Right. And the other ones aren't that particular, but but Sirius is serious. (laughs) Very serious, yes. Right, yeah. And the moon was in conjunction with Aldebaran. At 34 degrees, uh, near there. Okay. And, uh, but then from Tehran, I need to, okay. I've got a new computer here, and I'm not used to, oh, it runs out. Oh. Are you looking at our, our, our page? Right, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. good, but okay. Yeah, from um, Tehran, Sirius was plus 28 and change. Alnatec, Analem, and Mintaka, which are the three belt stars in Orion. 30, about 30. 30. And uh, Deberon yeah. 28, Regulus 61. So what's interesting is it's not the, it's not the alignments from Tehran that are important. It's the alignments from Baghdad, which is Iraq. Right. And which remember what target, Richard Spence yeah remember what Richard Spence said, you know weeks ago, that Persia used to spread all over this region. Iraq wasn't a country, you know Iran wasn't a country. It was all Persia, and they want Persia back. Right. They want to drive us out. They want to subsume Iraq back into Persia, and this set of alignments reinforce that exquisitely. Oh yeah, and 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 Baghdad is right near Babylon. The ancient. Yep. Yep. At thirty-three degrees. Okay. Right. Let's let's go on to the shoot down because I was very concerned because the Iranian missile attack. Uh, 22 missiles raining down on two bases that didn't kill anybody and, you know, maybe damaged defensers. I mean, it was incredibly minimal damage. Obviously, they pulled their punch precisely because it was symbolic for their home audience and for the right. world and for the ritual. There was one horrible thing that happened as a side effect, which is the Iranian shootdown of the Ukrainian airliner. And right. as you know, you and I talked about, was this part of the ritual? Because they had spared Americans and Iraqis, did they have to have blood somewhere? And was that shootdown part of this horrible ritual? And I think we can very forthrightly say tonight, based on the numbers, no. It was a tragic accident, right? Although you have Aldebaran at 19.5 minus – Minus 19.5, below the northwest horizon, and the moon in conjunction with Aldebaran. But that could just be – I mean, it could have been an accident. It probably was an accident. Well, given that you know, we all know what happened uh, in, in, the, in the first Gulf War where you know, flak filled the skies because we, we, we attacked Baghdad with the, you know, the uh, stealth 
fighters and bombers, it would have been expected there would be a counterattack. So right. everybody's on hair trigger alert, and there's always one guy who basically just can't handle it, and he pulls the trigger when he's not supposed to. And I read this from the beginning as a horrible, tragic accident. Yeah. And I and, think – go ahead. Oh, there was that Iranian uh, – the Iranian airliners that the U.S. Navy shot down in the Persian Gulf. And many, yeah. many years ago with the with our uh, Vincennes and Aegis cruiser. 88, I think. Yeah, yeah. 290 people, Iranians on that Airbus died, and the Iranians had never forgotten it, which, of right. course, is and, why they're now marching in the streets against Khomeini and the mullahs, because initially, instead of simply saying it was a tragic accident, and the Americans are basically responsible because, you know, they would have been retaliating, they claim nothing bad had happened. It was it was not them. It was the CIA as a propaganda effort. I mean, how does the CIA pull a propaganda effort off an Iranian – I'm sorry, a Ukrainian airliner that is shot right. down over, over uh, Tehran? Anyway, bottom line, this makes a very strong circumstantial case that the war – the buildup to this war was all symbolic and ritual – starting with the killing of uh, General Soleimani. And everything since has been part of this continuing ritual, which we do not know how it's going to end. I just know it's not going to end because, as Shakespeare said, the world's a play. And this proves it. This proves it. And then we have – you know, you have – you have the president going around saying that, well, it's this imminent threat. I had to kill the guy because he was going to, he had superpowers and he was going to attack four embassies. And so today on this, on this, <clears throat> the Sunday talk shows, the secretary of defense, Mark Esper said, I never saw anything about embassies being attacked. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> so I he just, wow, I don't want to get into it. Well, it's, you know I... it, 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 it's, it's, it's a bottomless black hole, <clears throat> and the reason I wanted to bring you on the top tonight is because, again, all this ritual going on on Earth is being counterpointed by a celestial object which should not be doing what it's doing and is marking these terrestrial events with celestial 19.5 signatures, and none of this should be happening unless someone has planned it. Pretty, you're right. pretty amazing. Greg, thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Quite welcome, Richard. Take Talk care. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Okay, let us move on. Um, Robert Morningstar, my longtime friend and colleague, is a civilian intelligence analyst. He's been on the show countless times. Investigative journalist and psychotherapist living in the heart of the greatest city on the planet, New York City. He's also a specialist in photo interpretation. Uh, Keith, can you get rid of uh, Greg on the Skype thing? I don't remember how to do three things at once. You know, it's kind of my failing. Um, And I don't know whether we're connected. Let's see. Um, You can click his picture Uh, and there's an arrow below it. Oh, thank you. All right. I'm doing that. And it gives me a little carrot. And that says, okay, good, good. I learn something every day. (laughs) Anyway, Robert is a specialist both in computers and in photo interpretation. 
geometric analysis and computer imaging. Robert Morningstar is a graduate of Power Memorial Academy, was a New York State Regent Scholar from 67 to 72 at Fordham, where he received a degree in psychology. And while at Fordham in 1969, the year we landed on the moon, Robert participated as a research fellow in a U.S. Navy-sponsored program to develop artificial intelligence. He's a licensed private pilot. He's uh, done incredible work on the Kennedy assassination, including the collaterals with uh, uh, Forrestal. He's currently publisher of the and editor of the UFO Digest, and it goes on and on and on. You can read all of that on the other side of midnight. Robert, welcome back <laughs> to the other Thank side. Thank you, Richard. Thank you very much uh, for having me on the show to discuss uh, these world-changing events. I heard the introduction, and so I'd just like to touch briefly on some of the things that uh, were said, and I disagree with a couple of them. I had a feeling you might. (laughs) Well, listen to this. I've I've got other intelligence sources who have different opinions about what happened. First thing I want to talk about is the assassination of Ghassim Soleimani and the reasons for it. Now, Greg said that he thought somebody said that President Trump lured him into Iraq. This is erroneous. The reason that uh, Soleimani was in Baghdad that day is that in recent weeks, the president of Iraq was ousted. Talk about impeachment. You mean the premier? Uh, the premier yeah. of Iraq was ousted. Right. Talk about impeachment. This guy was run out of town. Now, there was a meeting on the day that Soleimani was uh, assassinated. He attended a meeting of the Iraqi parliament, and he represented, he sat in for the premier of Iraq. And what that means is that Iran was ready to take over. We were talking about the Persian Empire, the Mm -hmm. reclaiming of the Persian Empire. The whole war between Iraq and Iran uh, centered around this this issue because they consider that area, southern Iraq, Basra, and uh, that region north of Basra to be Iranian territory, and they've been fighting for it. Well, basically since time immemorial. But the reason... Well, in the 80s, they lost a a million Uh, people. A million people were were killed on both sides of this uh, this equation. So the problem is that Qasim Soleimani had become too powerful, even for the Iranians. And a source, an intelligence source that I have, that I trust and respect highly, said to me that... They believe that this was an inside job, that they feared Soleimani so much, that his power had grown so great, not only in Iran, but internationally. Um, Soleimani was running the Quds Force. He was running the, um, the operations in Yemen against Saudi Arabia, in Lebanon, in Somalia, and supporting terrorism on a global scale. He'd become too powerful. Now, as they say, he was uh, Khomeini's right-hand man. The second most powerful man in Iran is supposed to be the president, President Rouhani. And as often happens 
you know, when um, when regimes change, and you know Khomeini uh, is is very old. The, the uh, Ayatollah Khomeini is very old, and his his end is nigh. There's always in these countries what is called the Night of the Long Knives, where there's a purge, just like Saddam Hussein came in and took over in July of um, 1979 the next day he held the parliament and he slaughtered many many parliamentarians and consolidated his power this is what happens and it is I was told by this intelligence analyst that Rouhani feared for his life and so even though he made uh, protests and uh, statements uh, you know decrying the president's actions that it's actually he whose neck was saved because he is more of a moderate. They cannot, they cannot change their course. They could not change their course. They are, as we say, they're on the ropes. The sanctions have worked. The, uh, the uprising of the people over the last few years has grown greater and greater. And they want to make a deal, but they could never make a deal with a guy like Soleimani in charge of the Quds Force and wielding the Iranian guard, uh, the Revolutionary Guard, I- inside Iran, uh, and so this may have been a cooperative effort to kick, to kickstart a new uh, series of negotiations with Iran. That is very plausible. I mean, that's really that's really very plausible. And again, it feeds directly into what the numbers say, which is this was a plan, a ritual yes. plan. Second point, this afternoon I dedicated two hours of my show on Revolutionary Revolution Radio uh, with our dear friend Andrew Curry and uh, Scott Teeters. Ah. And I asked Andrew point blank about something that I've been suspecting. I said to Andrew, Andrew, can you find out who was on that plane that was shot down? 82 Iranians. Oh, yes, I thought about the passengers. Was there someone or someone? So he said to me, Robert, that's exactly what I was thinking. They wiped out an Iranian brain trust that was coming to Canada. All the engineering students that were... Think about this. People who take on dual citizenship in another country are considered traitors by, by such regimes. Unless they are being sent there as infiltrators... It's my suspicion that there was a group of Iranians who are trying to escape, and they sacrifice them. They they need blood. Uh, you know this. Well, this there really is that there is that Aldebaran alignment that Greg found with the Moon in conjunction. Yes, I, yes that's why I wanted to comment. And that. Aldebaran in this mythology, this ritual mythology they've been following, is of course set the bad guy brother of Horus in the Egyptian yes. pantheon, the yes. evil dude, if you will. So maybe that's not an outlier after all, and maybe it was deliberate. And, the other part- and, and hang on, hang on. And that's why okay. the Iranians initially completely ignored and denied it was even the Iranians who did it. All right. Well, the point is, your introduction was intriguing, and – it's steep with numerology and mysticism, and it brought home to me that the word magic comes from Persia. Mm-hmm. The Magi, the wise men, the Chaldeans. You the, got it. Uh, you know? 
And so this whole thing reeks of black magic to me. The, what, the well, remember, the, the, hyper, the hyperdimensional physics for technology can be used like any technology for good or you know, right. The technology, the physics is neutral. It's what consciousness yeah. does with it. And it can be used to enhance life and it can be used to subtract life. And we've seen an extraordinary negative ritual based around this, this magic, this physics, uh, over the last few days. The last point I want to make is that, to my knowledge, Iran is the only nation on Earth that has acknowledged the reality of UFOs. And it was done by none other than the same President Rouhani. Three years ago, President Rouhani announced publicly in a videotaped interview that he had seen a UFO when he was a boy in Tehran. He was going to school and he saw this object in the sky that was hovering over a mosque and he was so intrigued by it that he quits. He, he played hooky. He chased this UFO through Tehran and he followed it from one mosque to another where it hovered over another mosque and then he said it landed in a square now, his description of this UFO is the most remarkable thing because it wasn't a, a disc. It wasn't a flying saucer. He describes a rect rectilinear construction. He described it in his, his, his child's mind with things that he was familiar with in Iran when he was 10 years old. He likened it to those um, canopied saddles that they put on elephants in in India, you know, to go riding on safari, everybody riding up on top in this big giant basket with a canopy. He said that it reminded him of that and that it made a, an unusual noise but had no, um, no apparent uh, means of propulsion. And then he saw it take off. And he announced that publicly, that they... And he acknowledged the, Iran acknowledges the existence Robert? of the UFOs. We're at the top of the hour. Very good. My guest this morning, following a very interesting presentation by Greg, Greg Ahrens, is Robert Morningstar, um, Navy guy. We're going to be talking about the U.S. Navy. And in honor of the U.S. Navy, we're also talking uh, with music tonight. The bumpers are all in celebration of the United States Navy. My father served in the U.S. Navy, and this was one of his favorite albums, Victory at Sea. Welcome to the other side of midnight. We shall return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And... You'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. 
We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. Mm-hmm.